Well, I'm just so blessed. I say that because that's so often something we say. And it's right, it's good, and it's true. But often we can associate the word blessed with comfort or safety or just having things in order. Then I'm blessed. Or maybe at its worst, I got a new car, I'm blessed. Uh, material blessing. So what we've been doing for a few weeks is asking of Scripture, what do you mean by blessed? Not me, I know what I would say. What do you mean, Lord, by blessed? And it's very different. We learned week one, Psalm 1, blessed, the blessed person stops trusting themselves with what's true and right and good and what's beautiful but it flees to the Word of God. And it says the Word of God is more than something that we flip through or get through. It's something that you meditate upon. That person, the Bible says, is blessed. They dig in and love the Word, the law of God. Week two, sweet relief. The blessed person is one who doesn't bottle up their sins, but fully and freely confesses to the Lord their great need of mercy. Cursed is the person who thinks, I'm doing pretty well. That is cursed. But blessed is the person who says, Lord, I need forgiveness and here's what I have thought, said, and done. That's not how I would define blessed. Week three today is a blessed invitation. Uh, worship. Worship. The person who's blessed worships. And what does that look like? And what does the Bible mean by that? I'm just going to read the first 11 verses of Psalm 34 as our guide, and then we'll kind of point to some places in the rest of it. So if you have a Bible, Psalm 34. If you don't have a Bible, it's conveniently printed in your bulletin. This is God's Word. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out, and David went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me, and I will teach you 
the fear of the Lord. Well, let's ask God's blessing as we dig in. Lord, help us to see above all Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, let His face, as we read, show through the the words of this song that we might once again behold His radiance. And Lord, in turn, become radiant. And we ask that You would lead us, Lord, to Your saving hand. Be our refuge now as we open Your Word and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at verse 8. That's going to be our springboard. That's the blessed invitation. David is basically testifying. Churches sometimes have people get up and offer a testimony. And quite often those testimonies celebrate the person giving it. And sometimes that may be okay. Here though, David's testimony is not speaking of himself, but it's turning And it has affected him in such a way that he bursts out in praise and he goes to his people and he begs them to come along. He invites them into the blessed life. And David uses such powerful imagery in verse 8 to describe what worship is about. I need that reminder because worship for me can be very mundane, um, commonplace, uh, little, little disruption. It's expect, I know what's going to happen. Yawn, half asleep, draw, leave, worship. David says, though, that's not it. It is a response to the experience of God. God, what He is, God, what He does, and He describes it in the most glorious of terms. So let's use that as our point this morning. Here's the way I'll divide it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we're going to see, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we're going to see, oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Those are our emphases this morning. So first, taste. What a beautiful image He gives for worship. That it's something to be savored and tasted and enjoyed. It's very human. It's very relatable to us. Leanne and I, when we go to a nice restaurant, we typically order different food. But we inevitably say, you've got to taste this. But we don't do that at the Sonic. You have got to try this tater tot. I mean... Or McDonald's, you have this chicken McNugget has more gristle than I've ever enjoyed before. You've got to taste this. But when there's something enjoyable and just overwhelming to the senses, you you want others to taste it. And that's what David is doing. He's he's experienced something that he says, I want you to have a bite too. He's bursting with joy and he invites his children to join him and he uses that word, taste. And immediately we get a sense of what worship is meant to be a part of. Not just here, but in life. Our faith is meant to be experienced. The faith that God has bestowed upon His church is meant to be enjoyed. 
delighted in, savored. That's why the word taste. The Bible, you don't have to read far to realize that the Bible has a theme, a a repeated theme that we wish wasn't there, but it really does speak to who we are and what we wrestle with. The Bible, all over, if you read the stories, and the Lord Jesus had to deal with this, and Paul had to deal with this, and the prophets had to deal with this, and we have to deal with it too. The Bible says that it is possible to have, but not enjoy. You know what that means? It is possible to actually have joy lumped in our laps, but never actually enjoy it. And David is calling us out of that. I was amazed in Africa to discover that most Africans never see elephant, never see giraffe, never see hippo, never see all of the things that you and I would because of money and the ability to travel see. Though they live right there, we're just a few miles away, they can enjoy the wonder and glory of some of the most unique creation. And if you ever get the chance to go on safari, your jaw will drop and you will say, there is a God. And I sure hope heaven looks like this. They never get to experience. One of my best friends, Pat Davey, lives ten minutes from the beach. Ten minutes. Do you know when he visits the beach? When others visit him. He lives right there, but never goes to enjoy it. Or if you think about it, and boy, this breaks my heart. Most people who live in Orlando, Florida, never go to Disney World. They got work. They got families. Well, that's the Bible's impression of what God's people constantly wrestle with. Do you you know what you have? Taste it, He says. What What do you act like when you realize that in your lap you have been rescued from hell? That's the response David is encouraging them. He uses really words here that tell us what that looks like. What does it mean to worship? What does it look like? What do I do? Well, it's a whole person activity. A whole person activity. Uh, Look at verse 1. David begins by saying, The beautiful tasting of the Lord involves something you do. An act. Your will. Your will does something. He says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. We don't see that in English. But here's what that word means. To bless the Lord It literally is a combination of words. It says to kneel in adoration. Did you hear the word though? Kneel. David is saying, come people, taste the Lord. Kneel your bodies. Which reflect the heart. And then he he bursts again and says, there's something else that you do. An act of the will. He says, I praise 
it shall continually be in my mouth. He, he speaks. He sings. He expresses. For those of you who hate singing, dads, <laughs> David killed men. And his reputation was such that men wanted to be him and women wanted to be with him. He was adored and powerful and wealthy and strong. And here was his response to the good news. He sang his guts out. Not only will though, David says to really taste the goodness of the Lord, and this is an area I think we're more comfortable with, you think too. You use your mind. Not just your will, but your mind. Verse 2b, we just pass over these words, but hear what they imply. It says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear. There's something to be heard. There's something in worship to be learned. We are right when we learn in worship. It gives me something to do, by the way. Verse 11 kind of clears it up. He says, Come, O children, listen, and I will teach. Worship's not just an act of bursting in praise and kneeling the knees. It, it's something to think about. That's one of the beauties of the Christian faith. It, it, has, it has information. It's a revelation of God that says this is the way the world is ordered. This is what makes sense. It will challenge. It will convict. It is something to be labored over. God intends His people to use their brains when they come to worship. Also, this is more frightening to me, emotions. Human beings have a will, they do stuff, they act, they think, but they also have emotions. And of course, the Psalms just oozes with emotions. Look at verse 3, the very first part, and then compare it with verse 8. And then there's another mention in verse 11. There are three places that he uses a, a particle. Oh, oh, oh. Sounds like Ozempic commercial. Um, oh. I pass over that, but the Hebrew is meant to convey something. He is pouring out some emotion here. There's something boiling in that pours out with, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. To be, I mean, verse 2, the second part. <laughs> to be or not to be. It says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be what? Glad. I'm a Presbyterian. We don't like glad. But let me remind you, David was also the frozen chosen. And he uses words like this all over the Psalms for his people to, to shout, to clap, to rejoice. And yes, you see it in this Psalm, to cry and lament. And as the word oh says, to long. That's emotion. David says, if you want to taste 
that the Lord is good, it'll engage all of you. There's one more though. There's one more that can be overlooked. And it's that to really taste the goodness of the Lord, it involves other people. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. He begins with a couple singulars. I have this experience, but let us exalt His name together. Verse 9, he says, Fear the Lord, you His saints. He's speaking to people, other people in the room. This is something that we do together. He calls them children, right? Have you ever eaten alone? Some of you, and we love you, and it's, please call me, I want to eat with you. Have to eat alone. But if you've had that experience, you know that it's just not fun. You kind of scarf through the food because there's no other person to sit there and enjoy it with, to take your time. Well, that's the way worship is. David says you will not fully get a portrait of what it means to taste God at home or hunting or skipping. There are no lone wolf Christians. But see the beauty of it. Uh, I often tell people in this church, because I had the unique experience of growing up here, I walk up to just people who've been here and I say this all the time, I'm a Christian because of you. And what they immediately hear is, I don't remember sharing the sinner's prayer with you. But that's not what's meant by that. It means that over time when you interact with other people, even in worship, which is the church's highest activity, worship, you get to see people of different ages and how they deal with aging in praise of God. And you get to see people who've gone through divorce and how they praise God. And how they grieve with God. And you've, you watch single people labor and long and pray for a partner. And you watch families wrestle with kid issues and sometimes literally in the pews. And what you are able to see is like a person holding a diamond. Without other people, your experience of God is just the ability to see one little facet. But with all the others and all their experiences and all their interactions with God at all their unique times, when they're up, when they're down, when they're nice, when they're mean, when they're hurting, when they're together, you get to turn the diamond and look at all the facets. It's a whole picture. And that's what He invites us in. I need older people. And I need younger people. That's what David says. So the first thing David says is, Oh, taste. Jonathan Edwards, that great preacher, said there are two ways there are two ways to discover that honey is sweet. One is to have someone tell you and describe it. The other is to take a mouthful. 
and enjoy. That's where David lands us. But not just taste. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Worship is this unique opportunity to be reminded of what reality really looks like. The word see implies something, doesn't it? To see something is to look at something. Not inward, but outward. To gaze upon something. Why, why does David have to tell the people, taste and see that the Lord is good? That part of worship is gazing at God. Well, it's because he knows himself and he knows us. We are prone to, of course, gaze at everything but God. And in that sense, worship becomes this mercy and this privilege to be reoriented. You, you, you kind of get the impression that most people think that the world is divided between two kinds of people. People that worship, like you sitting here, and then people that don't worship. But the Bible says, no. Everyone worships. Everyone invests their life in something or someone or some experience to provide happiness and joy and fulfillment and meaning. Everyone that exists already worships. It is never a matter of do I worship, but what? David's calling us to this beautiful experience of God to take our eyes off ourselves and see God. To see that here is the true Lord and the true love and the true life that I need. He's clarifying for me what I most need. You see, here's the deal. Whatever our truest desire is, whatever the thing is that we bank our lives upon, when we fail it, we are destroyed. For instance, if romance and having another person dote over you and love you is your thing, then when that doesn't happen, that person's crushed. But that's not true of everybody. For some of us, that's not what crushes us. It's finances. As long as that's in place, then I will feel settled in my stomach and then boom, it's gone. I'm undone. Or children. Or health. There are all kinds of things. And David's saying, even in the midst of those wonderfully beautiful good gifts of God being challenged, there's something else to see. And that's what David is calling here. So, worship in that sense becomes a need. Not a want. We're consumers as Americans, so we're used to shopping. And there's a way we can subtly begin to think of the gathering of God's people to worship as, I'll take it or leave it. Those who leave it, lose. Those who take it, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's rediscovering who we really are 
and what we really need. But the, the final thing, the thing that's driving here is taste and see something. And what he says here is he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to be struck by this for a moment. That David is here focusing, and it's important in our selfie generation or our uh, because of social media, you, you, we humble brag a lot. Y'all, I was so blessed to help this person. <laughs> and I want everyone to know about it. It's interesting that David, in this setting, we described it in the, in the opening line there. That's a superscript that tells you this is what this psalm was about and when it was penned. David found himself in a foreign land of the Philistines. And he was there because his king, whom he had served and loved and helped, was out to kill him out of jealousy. And so he fled. No home, no family, no place to sleep. He was under the threat of death. And then miraculously was rescued. He came up with a scheme. And the scheme was, I'm going to act crazy insane and slobber and the king saw that and said why am I bothering with him and let him go David came up with that scheme but he reminds the people even in the midst of that the Lord is good it wasn't me it was the Lord it was the Lord that's worship worship is literally gathering together and saying the Lord is good what would you say in your life every week the Lord has been good in? Interestingly, David here, in verse 1, he comes to worship and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Yikes. Because as you go through Psalm 34 and you look at how he describes the all times, you begin to see like verse 4, I, I was trapped and people were out to kill me, I'll bless the Lord. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? Verse 5, he says, those who look to Him are radiant, their faces shall never be ashamed. I, I'm able to worship the Lord and bless Him at a time when I don't think I should show my face. That's what that means. At a time when my inner voice is saying, you don't belong here, look at you. Then is when he says, I bless the Lord. Verse 6, he says, in all of my troubles. Verse 16, he describes injustice and mockery and watching evil people get away with murder. And then he ends with things like, the Lord looks to the brokenhearted. Don't spiritualize that. He means people whose hearts have been broken. That's when he says the Lord is good. <laughs> Probably because the veil has been ripped in two and he can see in the midst of that, all of that was God's grace. All of that was God's goodness. Um, it's just too much to describe here. Uh, if, you look at, if you look at all of those verses, you'll just see this repetitive theme that God, when you gather for worship, 
you will always have a way to say He's just. He's true. God is mercy. He was merciful to me. I'm breathing. I awoke this morning. The grace of God. The mercy of God. I have a full stomach. The mercy of God. The goodness of God. My family is not doing well. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It drives us to the Father's face, it says. And He doesn't turn away. So, the only way that we can taste and see the goodness of God and how good the Lord is, if you can't come up with a list and you can't create a, a, you know, a, a, a list of those things that you can enumerate and worship, here's where this psalm is driving us. There is at least one thing you will always, forever and eternally be able to say, in spite of this, bless the Lord. And you gather with me and taste and see that He's good because Psalm 34 is about Jesus. And Jesus sang this psalm. And as He sang this psalm, He could not help but think about those who would benefit from His work of mercy to rescue them. We always kind of flip-flop the words to get a sense of that, but you can see the Lord... Verse 7 says, and camps around those who fear Him and deliver Him. Why? Because Jesus exiled Himself. So that we draw near. And It says the Father's face is forever turned toward the Lord's people. Why? That's the most wonderful news you could ever hear. Almighty God, who's holy and Moses could not gaze at Him, has His face turned toward me. Why? Because he turned his face away from Jesus. And David is able with us to say, I'll bless the Lord at all times because Jesus, Psalm 22, is able to say, why have you forsaken me? It is the rehearsing of that, you understand, that we do in worship. It is, it is once again nourishing, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and it's His Gospel that embodies it. He comes for the good of His people. There's an old Puritan named Thomas Goodwin, I, I finish with this, who uh, describes kind of the two ways believers, and I want you to hear that, believers, not unbelievers and believe, believers in Christ experience the Lord. He said, I saw a father and son walking down the road. And then suddenly, the father scoops up the son. And he says, looking at him, he said, my boy, I love you. I'm proud of you. You are my heart. And then puts him back down. He asked this question, when they were just walking along the road, was he any less of a son? Nope. Not legally, not even relationally, father, son. But what difference did that vision of the father scooping and speaking, how then once experiencing that, did the son feel about the father? 
It makes all the difference in the world. And that's what David is saying. Don't waste your life simply ignoring the glory of this beautiful gift that He's given us. Well, he ends by saying what we are to do in verse 8. Knowing that, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. It's beautiful. And it reflects You. And we hear of Your mercy toward us. And we hear of our need of You. And we pray again, Lord, that You remind us that You have scooped us up. That the embrace of the Father is Jesus. And that's all the proof we need. And we pray that, Lord, You would help us henceforth to taste, to experience, to enjoy, and to see, Lord, to constantly be gazing at You as our, our Lord and challenging our false lords. And let us see, Lord, the mercy that is in Your hand, we pray in Christ. Amen.